Hello there, and welcome to The Road to Nicaea, Christ, Creed, and Controversy in the Turbulent Fourth Century, part of the Earth and Altar Podcast Network. Supplemental, Perfecting the Praises, the Liturgy of St. Basil. We've spent a lot of time talking in the main episodes about Basil's various ecclesiastical ventures. He established the Basileid in Caesarea to great success. He nurtured the church in Armenia with mixed results. He worked to unify the church of his day around the Creed of Nicaea, to great eventual success, albeit one he would not live to see. There is one area of his reforms that he was extremely successful in that we have not talked about yet, his liturgical reforms. Basil introduced a number of changes into the worship of the Church that have passed down to us in the present day as the Liturgy of St. Basil. The Liturgy of St. Basil is still prayed multiple times a year by Orthodox Christians, usually in Lent, Holy Week, and then right around Christmas time. This is obviously a really big deal. Next to the Nicene Creed, it is the one artifact of Basil's influence that has come down to us today in modern worship right there in the pews. So you may be wondering what exactly this liturgy is. What did Basil change? Why did he change it? And how has it kept its freshness and relevance these many, many centuries later? Well, my friends, the answer is the old song we've been singing this entire podcast. We don't know for sure. We don't. We don't for many reasons, but especially because there are actually several versions of a divine liturgy of St. Basil, one used by Eastern Orthodox churches, another by Coptic Orthodox churches, one that was used by Armenian churches until the 10th century, but then it disappeared and we don't have it anymore. You get the picture. Now, that diversity of form is not particularly surprising. Worship changes and evolves as people change and evolve, and even the same liturgical text will take on different forms as people add a bit here, take a little bit out there, and the like. Which might make you ask, Well, if we have all these different liturgies that all just claim to be from St. Basil, but they're all kind of different, why assume he wrote the liturgy at all? Maybe they're just liturgies made up by people who want to claim the authority of a famous saint so people will use their service. Well, the short answer is we think Basil wrote it because Basil's descendants mention his liturgy rather frequently. In fact, there are some people who say just a few decades after Basil's death, that his liturgy is celebrated all over the East. And there's another source that tells us that Basil noticed people were getting bored in church, so he shortened the liturgy to help them out. Thanks for the assist, Basil. The fact that we don't have an original copy of his liturgy is, again, hardly surprising. The vast majority of texts from the ancient world are lost to us. So the most likely explanation is that Basil really did write one liturgy, but it got changed and adapted in various contexts to produce the family of rites that we have today. But you may be thinking, if we have the various liturgies today, then maybe we can compare and contrast them, find the common elements and say, oh, those must be part of the original, and the places where they differ must be innovations. Surely we can do that, right? Right? And the answer is, kind of. This is actually a very well-respected way of comparing texts that you think are related. New Testament scholars do this very thing all the time when they are trying to figure out their relationships between Mark, Luke, and Matthew. The problem is that scholars can't agree on the relationship between these various traditions. 
For example, did the Eastern Church add a certain prayer, or did the Coptic Church remove that prayer from the original text? These sorts of questions tend to lead to a lot of scholarship and a lot of loud yelling, so I'm going to leave that be for now. The one sure comparison we can make is between the present-day Eastern Orthodox Liturgy of St. Basil and the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, who came just a generation after Basil and also happened to write his own liturgy. The main differences are that the Liturgy of St. Basil is longer and it's more penitential. The length difference has largely to do with the fact that Basil asked the priest to do more silent prayers before starting to pray over the bread and wine. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the tradition of silent prayer, priests will often say one or more prayers during the service, asking God that they would be worthy officiants. So, for example, some Anglican priests will pray before they start reading from the Gospel, usually something like, Open my lips, O Lord, that I may worthily proclaim your holy Gospel. They may also pray right before the Eucharist, might say something like, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. St. Basil, rightly assuming that most clergy need a bit more time for compunction than short prayers like those gave, prescribed a long set of prayers for them to say every Sunday in private. Due to the penitential nature of all the prayers, public and private, in Basil's liturgy, it is seen as especially appropriate for Lent. Now, because the liturgy is long, I'm not going to go through it blow by blow. In fact, in most Eastern Orthodox bulletins or listings of the text, you'll see it go on for about 30 to 40 pages. But I do want to give you the highlights of it so you can see at least a little bit of how Basil thought the worship of God should be structured, or at least insofar as we have his vision in adapted and evolved form today. Now, after an opening benediction, the deacon leads the people in the Great Litany, which is basically a long set of call-and-response prayers for people all over the world in every sort of condition. Then the people read a set of antiphons interspersed with more litanies, called little litanies because they are quite shorter. I quite like the last antiphon, which concludes with reciting the Beatitudes. And then after this has been said, the deacon proclaims, Wisdom, let us attend! which is just a really cool thing to get to shout out. I wish I could shout out, Wisdom, let us attend, when somebody made a really good point. I guess I could. I don't know, I just don't have the courage if it's not written out for me in the bulletin. A anyway, the people then sing or chant a set of hymns for the day. Then there are readings from the Epistle and the Gospel, followed by the homily. Then we have yet another litany, called the Litany of Supplication, in which you pray for the same people you prayed for at the start of the service in the Great Litany. Seriously, the deacon leads the prayers and begins most of them by saying, again we pray for X, again we pray for Y. They quite like their litanies in the liturgy of St. Basil. Then there is the litany for the catechumens, namely those who are being instructed in the faith but haven't been baptized yet. After that, there are the prayers of the faithful, which are said by those who have been baptized. Then follows the great entrance, which is when the priest enters the tabernacle up front to pray over the bread and wine for communion. But before he does that, there is, you guessed it, more litanies. The priest prays for people across the whole world, then the deacon leads another litany of supplication. These include some of the private prayers the priest says. Since we talked about them being one of the distinguishing features of this liturgy, it seems a shame not to give you a little bit of a taste of them. So here is the prayer said by the priest preparing to begin the great entrance, and I quote, 
None is worthy among those bound with carnal desires and pleasures to approach or draw nigh or minister to you, O King of glory. For to serve you is a great and fearful thing, even unto the heavenly powers. Nevertheless, through your ineffable and immeasurable love of man, without change or alteration, you did become man, and did take the name of our high priest, and deliver unto us the priestly rite of this liturgical and bloodless sacrifice. For you are master of all. You alone, O Lord our God, are master over those in heaven and on earth, who on the throne of the cherubim are born, who are Lord of the seraphim and King of Israel, who alone are holy and rests in the saints. I implore you, therefore, who alone are good and ready to listen, look down upon me, a sinner, and your unprofitable servant, and purify my soul and heart from an evil conscience, and by the power of thy Holy Spirit enable me, who am clothed with the grace of the priesthood, to stand before this your holy table, and to perform the sacred rite of your holy, immaculate body and precious blood. For you I do approach, and bowing my neck I pray you, turn not away thy face from me, neither cast me out from among your children, but make me your sinful and unworthy servant, worthy to offer unto you these gifts. For you yourself are he that offers and is offered, that accepts and is distributed, O Christ our God. And unto you do we give glory, together with your Father who is without beginning, and your all-holy, all-good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. End quote. This is followed by the peace, after which people say the Nicene Creed together. Now, you might think it was awfully wily of Basil to put the creed he defended his whole life into his liturgy. That's one way to beat the heretics, just make them say it in church. But all evidence actually suggests the creed was added by later generations of authors after the fight had been won. Awfully sportsmanlike of Basil not to try and box his opponents in like that. After the creed, the anaphora begins. The anaphora is just a fancy word for the prayer of consecration over the bread and wine, but of course it sounds much cooler when you call it an anaphora. There is one interesting difference here that is worth mentioning. In Chrysostom's anaphora, the priest asks God to make the bread and wine the body and blood of Christ, while in Basil's anaphora, the priest simply declares that this is what they are. Basil, in other words, treats the transformation like something God has already done. Chrysostom treats it like something that happens after the moment when God is implored. Once the anaphora is completed, it's time for more prayers. There's a litany, followed by the Lord's Prayer. The priest takes communion, followed by the people. After that, there's a litany of thanksgiving, followed by a dismissal. Then the service ends. And that, my friends is the litany of St. Basil as we have it today. Large portions of it likely go back to the man himself, although it's hard to know for sure which portions. The structure of the liturgy is not all that different from what you will find in most Catholic, Orthodox, or Magisterial Protestant churches every Sunday. Where there are differences, it's largely in the way that the liturgy of St. Basil surrounds everything that it does with prayer. Like, everything. You don't read scripture until you have prayed that you will understand it. You don't start communion until you have prayed that you are worthy to celebrate it. For those of us who value efficiency, this is bound to be a little grating. But it speaks to a different set of values. For the liturgy is telling us that it is no small thing to worship the living God. It's actually quite difficult to listen to God with an open heart, to cleanse ourselves thoroughly before receiving the body and blood of Christ. 
The point of those prayers is not just to repeat for the sake of repetition. It is to get us ready for the high and holy work to which we are called. That kind of pious reverence for God's holiness is very much of a piece with Basil's theology, I think. Perhaps that is one of the reasons his words still inspire so many, these many, many long years after we have traveled, or perhaps continue to re-travel, the road to Nicaea. This is an Earth and Altar Podcast Network production. For more podcasts and weekly articles, visit us at earthandaltermag.com.